everyone, welcome back to Speaking of Psych with Sarah and Leah. This is episode 14 where we'll be covering Speaking of Daydreaming. So unfortunately we ran into a few logistical issues and me and Sarah weren't able to record in person or online and so we've divided this podcast in half. It should still flow as normal for you guys but just in case there are any issues that's why. Yeah so a few technical issues and sorry this is up late. I hope you enjoy the episode. This episode we're going to be covering what daydreaming is, the different types, why we daydream, the science behind it, dangers to it and tips to effectively daydream along with our questions and recounts that we normally cover. So to begin with what actually is daydreaming? Well the Cambridge definition is the activity of thinking about pleasant things that you would like to do or have happened to you instead of thinking about what's currently happening now. Another definition that I think is pretty good is that a daydream is when your mind wanders and your attention essentially shifts from the task at hand and that could be a physical or a mental task to a place that's entirely your own. Daydreams consist of little videos of yourself in the past, future and present events. What you want to happen to you, they might be replaying certain events over and over again. You might daydream about future events like where you see yourself in 10 years or what you're doing later tonight. And everyone or nearly everyone reports daydreaming on a regular basis. Studies have indicated that 96% of adults or adolescents have at least one session of daily daydreaming and I thought it was pretty interesting but as we noted that about 30 to 47% of our conscious day is spent spacing out drifting in daydreaming. Okay moving on to the next section we have types of daydreaming. So it's been found that there are two types of daydreams positive construction daydreams and what's known as dysphoric daydreams. So positive construction daydreams are usually upbeat and include imaginative thoughts. These are typically positive ones that make you feel happy about yourself or about the situation which you're daydreaming about. And then dysphoric daydreams typically include visions of failure or punishment. So these would typically make you feel bad about yourself or whatever it is that you're daydreaming about. So specifically in terms of dysphoric daydreams, that's what's known as ruminant daydreaming and this is essentially wanting to change the past and then you also have maladaptive daydreaming which is actually a condition that causes intense daydreaming that distracts a person from their real life we're going to explore these two a bit more in detail later when we go into the dangers of daydreaming but yeah there's a massive difference between positive constructive daydreams and dysphoric daydreams so there are differences in the way that each gender experiences daydreaming there are typically two common themes of the conquering hero and the suffering Men usually daydream about playing the conquering hero, while women are most likely daydream about being the suffering martyr or, in other words, damsel in distress. This could be linked to internalized misogyny. However, it's possible that these stereotypes are changing with the way that generations are breaking down gender norms now. However, this is what research has shown in the past. It is also human nature for us to daydream more when we are stressed, bored, and tired, or in a hectic environment. So next, we're actually moving on to why we daydream, and this is really interesting, but daydreaming gives you an outlet to imagine scenarios without any risk or real world consequences and I hadn't really thought about it like this before but when you daydream you make new associations and connections from your conscious mind to your unconscious thoughts which can help you in a situation that you've been thinking about for a while so if you have this major decision and you're not really sure what to do daydreaming gives you that chance to escape your reality even if it's only for a short amount of time it is in essence a way to explore different realities without any real world consequences so you can kind of explore the different options in that decision and see what that would lead to and what the outcome of those decisions might be without having to actually 
make those decisions to see the outcomes of course it's not a scientific way to see it but it kind of reminds me of shifting in that sense you can kind of escape your current reality and explore different options without having real world consequences i don't know that's a bit of a stretch but yeah daydreaming allows your mind to run freely and it can even increase productivity daydreaming actually enhances your creativity which is why you might have that oh aha i know what to do or eureka moments and then have that sudden insight about a situation daydreaming allows you to uncover thoughts and ideas that you didn't realize you even had and looks underneath the surface of these thoughts your mind in a way becomes unhinged and is allowed to roam freely. Researchers found that different brain areas are activated when daydreaming that are compatible with those associated with problem solving. It is like one big dress rehearsal for the real show which is your life. It can help us make moral decisions and a possible explanation to why we daydream is that we're trying to understand other people's thoughts. We will never know and we don't know what other people are thinking but we can daydream about what we think they are thinking or even what we want them to think about. So kind of linking in with why we daydream, we're now going to talk about the science behind daydreaming. So when you daydream, your brain uses what's known as the default network, and this includes areas like the medial prefrontal cortex, which allows us to imagine ourselves and the thoughts and feelings of others. It also includes the posterior cingulate cortex, and I'm not 100% sure if I pronounced that right, but that allows us to show personal memories from our brain. And then the final area is the parietal cortex, and this has connections to your hippocampus, which stores your episodic memories and for those of you that don't know your episodic memories are essentially it's what they sound like it's episodes from your life that you can look back on it's different things that have happened to you like when you learned to ride a bike it's not the actual like process of riding a bike that you're recalling but the time in which you learned to ride that bike or the experience that's what you're recalling that would be the episodic memory so this default network is only activated when we switch from our conscious mind that's focused on a task to wandering or daydreaming So it's like a default setting. When our brain isn't paying attention, we revert back to the factory settings. Therefore, daydreaming can be considered as an autobiographical mental imagery that generates our own sense of self. The default network is extremely active, especially when we don't notice that we have lost focus and our mind wanders on its own. A product from the default system is that we have something called the stimulus-independent thoughts. These are thoughts about things other than events that generate from the outside of environment. So it's like they make up the things we dream about. The next section that we wanted to cover today is dangers to daydreaming. And I think this is honestly one of the most interesting topics. A lot of people don't realize it, but daydreaming can become addictive. We imagine the best versions of ourselves, a perfect world or outcome to a situation which can then become dangerous. Daydreaming can be used as a way to escape from stress and pressures in our reality, which in mediation is amazing. But if it's not checked or if it's overused, it can become a defense mechanism to retreat from the real world. And this can become unhealthy because people will then avoid the reality of situations rather than dealing with them the best way you can try to break this daydream cycle is to have positive distractions such as social gatherings, exercising and being aware and mindful when you start to daydream too much. Ruminant daydreaming are daydreams where you're rehashing and analysing the past as well as worrying about what can go wrong in the future. This can be a very tricky path to go down once people are aware that they are doing this, it can be rather difficult for them to turn it off. It can also lead to concentration problems and procrastination. The psychologist Raymond Marr and Associates asked men and women ranging from the ages 18 to 85 to report the frequency 
of their dreams and vividness of their daydreams as well as their life satisfaction, levels of loneliness, and social support. They found that people who were daydreaming about unattainable relationships tend to feel unhappier and less satisfied in their life. The next type of dangerous daydreaming is maladaptive daydreaming and when we got a request to do this episode it was actually specifically a request for maladaptive daydreaming. Maladaptive daydreaming is a psychiatric condition. It was identified by Professor, and I'm not sure if I'm saying her name right, but Elise Sommer of the University of Haifa in Israel. And this condition causes intense daydreaming that distracts a person from their real life. Many times real life events trigger daydreaming, and these events can include topic of conversation, sensory stimuli such as noises or smells, physical experiences. And Sommer says that maladaptive daydreaming isn't actually a psychosis despite what you might think because people with maladaptive daydreaming they 100% recognize that their daydreams aren't real and though it's classified as and I really hate this phrase but it is a technical term a mental disorder it's not part of the new edition of the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders so the DSMV and therefore it doesn't have an official treatment still 100% though and experts can confirm this it is a real disorder that can have real effects on a person's daily life. Experts still aren't sure what causes maladaptive daydreaming, but a person with maladaptive daydreaming might have one or more symptoms of the disorder, not necessarily all of them. So some common symptoms might include extremely vivid daydreaming of their own characters, settings, plots, and other detailed story-like features, difficulty completing everyday tasks, difficulty sleeping at night, an overwhelming desire to continue daydreaming, performing repetitive movements while daydreaming, making facial expressions while daydreaming, whispering and talking while daydreaming, and then finally daydreaming for a lengthy period. So this can be from many minutes to hours and it's typically a lot longer than people who just casually daydream would daydream for. There is no universal method used to diagnose maladaptive daydreaming. Somer identified maladaptive daydreaming and developed the maladaptive daydreaming scale which is also known as MDS. This scale can help determine if a person is experiencing maladaptive daydreaming. The MDS is a 14-part scale. It rates the five key characteristics of maladaptive daydreaming, the content and quality of the dream, a person's ability to control the dream and compulsion to dream, the amount of distress caused by daydreaming, a person's perceived benefits of daydreaming, and how much daydreaming interferes with a person's ability to carry out their daily activities. People also rate how often they experience maladaptive daydreaming symptoms. Some people who experience maladaptive daydreaming also experienced other disorders such as ADHD, OCD, and depression. It is not yet understood how these disorders are related to maladaptive daydreaming. There is no official treatment for it either, but in one study, researchers found that, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, but fluvoxamine, also known as Luvox, which is effective in OCD, also found effective in maladaptive daydreaming for a person to control their dreams. And other options include therapy and support groups. Obviously, these are also very helpful, as we mentioned in previous episodes. Tips that effectively daydream is the next section. The first most important tip is timing. So when you're engaged in a mildly challenging task, this seems to allow people to access ideas that they're not usually readily available to on a conscious level. Daydreaming provides a place for the mind to wander off, 
and to which they can give an insight into the conscious mind. If you daydream about people you know, such as family or friends, they can make you happier. Try not to daydream in situations that you must be paying attention, like a class that's covering exam materials. Do your best to tune out default network when situations like this occur. Your best chance to learn something new comes from when you deactivate the network. So if you feel like your inner thoughts are crowding out the new information, take a step back and turn them down through mind stilling techniques. So tip number two, daydream positively and it is simply just that you are the maker and the master of your daydreams it's like lucid dreaming but with more control and when you're awake if you don't like what you're daydreaming about you can change it and you 100% have the power and the ability to do that if your daydreams are bothering you change them as difficult as it might be try to fantasize about the relationships that you currently have rather than what you don't have and the situations that you are currently in rather than the situations that you wish you were in and try and use it constructively to your advantage. The next tip is also about using it to your advantage and you can actually help improve your memory by daydreaming about events as long as they are relatively close to reality. And I think it's important to recognize it relatively close because I highly doubt that you daydreaming about a memory is going to be 100% accurate and this is because memories are susceptible to what's known as schemas but this can actually help enhance your memory of the experience and therefore you'll have a better chance of remembering that experience in the future use your daydreams to help not hurt your memory from a study by Delaney et al we learned that students who daydreamed about faraway places or situations had poorer memories than those who daydreamed about things that were closer to their current reality so it does actually have an impact without you realizing it on your average day-to-day memory. Our last tip is to daydream when you can. It can allow you to be more creative and even though there's a moment in time where you want to be paying attention like during class or other situations, everyone needs a break and it's important to allow your mind to daydream. So now we're actually moving on to the recounts and questions and this is one of my favorite parts of the podcast because it really gives us an insight from people who genuinely have a struggle from things that relate to daydreaming and the first recount that we got is from someone who suffers from maladaptive daydreaming and me and Sarah are really excited to share this because it really does give you a different perspective and yeah so I just want to get straight into it so quote hi I just thought that I could talk about my story and my experience with maladaptive daydreaming it's going to be a tiny bit long so sorry about that For a couple years my daydreaming has been getting worse, but I never realised it until last year. It started to get a bit serious when I was 12. I had a different paracosum ages before that, but I eventually grew out of it and it wasn't really maladaptive. For those of you that don't know, a paracosum is a detailed imaginary world, especially one created by a child. I just made it for fun when I was really young and it helped me sleep. When I was 12, I made a brand new paracosum and it was originally made because it felt lonely and it helped me sleep but eventually got worse and now I have many paracosums that I use for escapism depending on how I feel. I didn't know about maladaptive daydreaming until winter last year when I watched a TikTok compilation about mental health and it popped up all of a sudden. It described exactly what I was going through and I looked into it and realised that I maladaptively daydreamed too. It felt really nice to know that I wasn't the only person doing this since I would talk out loud sometimes in my room and I genuinely thought that I was going crazy. During the lockdown, my mental health got really worse and I spent even longer daydreaming and I thought I was really losing my sanity. 
I don't like daydreaming this much since it makes me waste so much time and sometimes I miss out on deadlines or I have to pull an all nighter because I have wasted so much time. I don't like maladaptively daydreaming but then I do like it since it's one of the only things I can do to get some serotonin into my brain. Books were my escapism when I was really young, but I eventually turned to daydreaming. Some people might think that we don't know the difference between reality and fantasy, but that's not true. I know what's real and what's not. I know my paracosms aren't a part of reality. It's hard to talk to other people about this since it's not very well known. It's a proposed disorder and it's not in the DSM yet, so no one really can get recognised. This is just my take on it, but I feel that it's more of a coping mechanism than a disorder, because it seems that a lot of people daydream just so they can cope with reality. I hope that more people can learn about maladaptive daydreaming, since I feel like there were a lot of people out there who maladaptively daydream, but don't realise that since they haven't heard of it, and it's likely that they think that they are losing their sanity too. I forgot to mention this, but there are treatment options for maladaptive daydreaming. I read somewhere that CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, helps, but I'm no professional, so definitely do research on this. There are currently a lot of studies on maladaptive daydreaming, so you can sign up for some of them if you want to contribute in any way. There are a lot of YouTube channels that focus on maladaptive daydreaming, especially Mad Art, who has wonderful videos on maladaptive daydreaming. There are also a lot of communities that you could join, like the subreddit for MDD. Thank you for letting me share my story here. I hope you'll have a great day. Unquote. So this was a bit of a long recount, but I really loved it because it really went in depth about their story and their struggle with maladaptive daydreaming and it actually relates to quite a few things that we said before so we mentioned earlier on that yeah it's not in the dsm yet but that doesn't mean that it isn't a legitimate disorder and also something i thought was really interesting is that this person doesn't like to think of it as a disorder more, more of a coping mechanism and personally i completely agree it is classified as a disorder but i do feel like that it comes around because it's used as a coping mechanism and everyone has different coping mechanisms for those who daydream it can become maladaptive and can then become harmful or dangerous which links into when we were talking about dangerous daydreaming. I don't really have much else to say about this recount, I just think that they covered everything that me and Sara would want you guys to know, I, we thought it was really in depth and yeah so we have a few more recounts which Sara is going to go on to now. The next recount we have is someone saying, quote, I feel quite embarrassed to admit this, but since childhood, I frequently daydream while skipping around my room. My parents questioned whether I had Asperger's or ADHD as a child, but I'm just hyperactive. It can be counterproductive sometimes when I'd much rather escape into my fantasies, but quite frankly, I'm quite proud of how wild my creative mind is. And as silly as it sounds, I don't want to ever interrupt my daydreams in the fear that it could, I might miss out on some new great idea. Unquote. And I think this is just a really nice way of looking at it. I think when people look at maladaptive daydreaming or different types of daydreaming, they're just like, they view it as something that's purely counterproductive, something that kind of distracts them from the things need, they need to get done. But this person's seeing it as a way to kind of access thoughts, as we said, access thoughts that you aren't normally available to. And I think it's just a really nice way of looking at it. Like they acknowledge that sometimes it can be counterproductive, but they also recognize the fact that it is so beneficial to a person. And I feel like if more people had this viewpoint on it, obviously when it gets to the point where it's a problem, you might need to seek help, but at other stages you can really utilize this to find new ideas. So the next recount we have is someone saying, quote, it sometimes becomes a crutch. It's not debilitating, 
but it's like you can't imagine ever not doing it or a time where you weren't doing it unquote and i think that this isn't a negative or positive kind of recount it's just someone recounting their experiences with it as we said in the last recount looking at it from a really positive view can be so beneficial because you can access so many of the thoughts that as we said people aren't really available to in a normal basis so just you have to be able to judge where you are in terms of whether it's become kind of like an issue or whether it's something that you can really utilize so the final recount i didn't want to say it word for word because it is a little bit graphic but essentially i think it's them talking about how they're having these intrusive thoughts but in daydream form and how they're worried that they're becoming a bit of a psychopath and honestly no that's not the case i think that what they're referring to in this case is intrusive thoughts obviously i'm not professional so i can't diagnose but from the research that i've done and from the things that i've read i'm fairly certain that what this person is describing is what's known as intrusive thoughts which i think really interesting but are a whole other topic and so we might do an episode on that let us know if you would like one but that's it in terms of the recounts so that's all from us today this is a bit of a different episode because we covered something that everybody experienced Experiences rather than a specific mental disorder let us know if you want more episodes like this or if there are any topics that you have in mind that you'd like us to cover or really just any feedback for us as well we're completely open to that you can send it through any of our socials so on instagram we're speaking.of.psych or on our twitter and linkedin which we're just speaking of psych or even through our link tree anonymously which we have forms up even if it's an older form of an episode we've already done that up we will check that before we record the next episode and we'll see anything that you send to us and we'll 100% address it so sorry if this episode was released a bit late we have run into some logistical and technical issues but next week should be up on thursday as usual and yeah we hope you enjoyed or found this helpful thank you for listening